nice. He can introduce more of his family. His family's here. It's an honor to have them. And can we give them a nice Southridge Baptist Church welcome as Brother Rice comes? Thank you. Thank you, Pastor McKay. All right. Well, howdy and good morning. Good. Okay. Well, that, that was actually lousy, but that's okay. I know you don't know me, so we'll work on it a little bit. Hey, we're, we're honored to be with you this morning. Looking forward to our brief time together. And Pastor Mackay, thank you for allowing us to be here today. We're very grateful to be with you and thankful for our new work in San Jose, California. Um, I won't have them stand because I'm not sure you how well you... Well, maybe you would, but uh, the lady that I'm seated next to is my wife, Sina. Um, S-E-N-A. Sounds like Tina but it's not. We've gotten Zena and Selena and Serena, and those are all pretty, I'm sure, but she's not. She's Zena. And then Wilson is my 14-year-old, and Lauren is my 17-year-old. Weston is 11, and he's preaching in the kids' class next. No, not really. He's listening, I hope. And then it's great to have my mother, Mary Rice, uh, with us here. She flew in from Miami yesterday. She and my dad are in revival work, as we are, and we've been on the West Coast in meetings. We were in Fresno last week. And my folks have been in, uh, actually, my dad's preaching in uh, the Keys, the Florida Keys today. So mom flew in from uh, Miami to San Francisco, and she's going to watch our kids for a couple days. We are celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. And <laughs> thank you. That's not why I was telling you, but thank you. You're very kind. And uh, so we're going to be um, at an undisclosed location for the next three days. All right. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 5 this morning. Would you turn there with me? I, I really do think it's providential. Pastor said that you all will be beginning a series on marriage in the home and so on. And um, that's actually what we've been doing in Fresno. We had a family conference and um, the Bill Rice Ranch is a ministry that started was started by an evangelist and his wife out of a burden they had to reach deaf young people for Christ. But the reason they were burdened about this is because their own daughter, Betty, is deaf, and so really it wasn't an evangelist or a preacher that started Bill Rice Ranch. It was two heartbroken parents, and so um, that is at the very core of our passion at Bill Rice Ranch. That's why we do family conferences across the country, and that's why I'm just so delighted that it worked out that I would have been happy to preach anything this morning, but I'm glad that we have a chance to be a part of your uh, family series, He Said, She Said, and glad to be with you this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 5, and repetition in the Bible is always significant. Uh, I find repetition almost every day that I preach. And by the way, if you put on the glasses we have provided for you this morning, I will appear in 3D, so that's, that's good. Maybe you haven't on 3D anyway, and I'm sorry about that. But oftentimes in the Bible, you find repetition. And in the first two verses of 1 Timothy 5, you find the same word four times in just two verses. And in my copy of the Bible, the word is as. If you see that, then when you get to the word as, I want you to just say it out loud. I'm going to give a dramatic pause each time in the text we come to that little word, and I'll give a micro pause, and that's when your cue is to say the word. That was horrible. Let's try it one more time. The word is? One more time. The word is? Okay, and that's a significant word, so I would like to emphasize it. And if you don't see it there, then just follow the cue of the other people, or just if I pause, that's you know that it's there, all right? 1 Timothy 5.1. The Bible said this is written from God through the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. I thank God for young preachers, don't you? Aren't you thankful for the leadership and enthusiasm of young pastors, young, I hope young evangelists, young, young people uh, that are doing God's work? I'm also thankful for 
seasoned preachers like the Apostle Paul that God used to instruct this young preacher. 1 Timothy 5.1 says, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men, brethren, the elder women, mothers, uh, the, um, the younger sisters with all purity. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you think we should treat everyone the same? Raise your hand if you think we should treat everyone the same. Would you? Raise your hand real high. Okay. I can't see real well, but I think about six brave people. How many of you think we should not treat everyone the same? Raise your hand. Okay. I'm here to sow dissension as quickly as I can. How many of you here would say, Brother Rice, I sense a trap and I'm not going to be a part of your silly poll. Would you raise your hand? Okay. Look at verse 21. The Bible says this. The last part of the verse, second half of the verse, verse 21. Observe these things, some of which we'll see this morning, actually one of which we'll see this morning. Uh, observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So if we're talking about fairness and equity, do you think God wants us to be uh, reasonably fair with people, yes or no? Yes, all right? So if that's what I mean by um, should we treat everyone the same, the obvious answer is yes. But what if I frame the question this way? Should I treat everyone the same? Should I treat everyone the way I treat my wife, yes or no? No! There's only one person on the face of God's green earth I treat like my wife, and guess what? You aren't that person. It's my wife. Uh, remember when you were a kid and you were at the grocery store and you lost your mom? And <gasps> you panicked. And so you're running down. What do you have here in, in San Jose? You have Ingalls, Kroger, Safeway. There we go. Safeway. You're running down the, the main corridor of Safeway and off this corridor are all these different aisles. And you're looking for your mom. You're, <gasps> you're panicked. You're running down the main corridor. You stop at the poultry aisle. Nothing but chickens on this aisle, you know, the poultry aisle, you look down, no mother, you get down to aisle five, no mother, aisle six, no mother, you get down to about aisle 15, and way down the end of this aisle, there's this halo over your mother, there's your mother, you're thrilled, you run down the aisle, you throw your arms around your mother, you look up, it's not your mother, it's a bad feeling, isn't it, well, do you treat everyone the same, no, you don't, most reasonable people do not just hug total strangers. Uh, could this scenario be worse? Yes, it could be. You could lose your wife in the grocery store. And the same scenario could be repeated. I, I'm, I'm being light and silly here, but the fact of the matter is that, no, we don't treat everyone the same. Uh, Brother Mackay would know a, a man that works with us at the ranch. His name is Michael Alger, And he's the head wrangler on the ranch. We have 1,300 acres on Bill Rice Ranch. We run 44 head of horses right now. And uh, I love Michael Alger. Tough, tough hands, tender heart. And um, I love Michael Alger. Talk to him pretty much every week, even when we're in California and he's in Tennessee. But um, when I talk to my wife, it's just automatic. It's just habit. I always sign off by saying, and this is habit, so I don't even think about it, which is not necessarily good. But I always say, okay, love you. And I hang up. It's always been a fear of mine that I'll be talking to someone ugly like Michael Alger, you know, facial hair, tough hands, cowboy, and uh, talking about the back 40, you know, and branding horses, and then say, okay, I love you, and hang up. Now, I do love Michael, and it wouldn't be inappropriate to say as much, but not that way, and the reason is because we don't treat everyone the same. God has given you a home, however imperfect it may be. You may be single, you may be... Um, you, you may be a grandparent, 
You may be married and have a lot of children. You may be married and have no children. But regardless of your history, let me tell you something. God has given you a home that's a training ground for life. And you're not going to treat your pastor, your friends, the people in this church, and the people that are without, as the Bible says, any better than you do the people in your own home. And if you do, it is a sham. If I make all nights with you, but then I treat my wife like I don't care, would you be impressed by that? Oh, Brother Ermer, man of God, thank you for letting me come here. And then I just kind of dismiss my wife, my mother, my kids this afternoon. Would that, would that impress you? It shouldn't. Because your, your public ministry should be based on your private victory. So let me ask you a question. Do we learn about home at church? Or do we learn about church at home? You, well, the, you're shaking your head yes. The answer is yes. Do we learn about home at church, yes or no? Yeah, I'm preaching a text that's about the home. pastor will be preaching a series that's about the home. That's right. That, God, let me tell you something. God has an opinion about your life. And I think it's wrong to be more opinionated than God is. But if God's interested in you, then don't think for a city second that he doesn't care about things like your home. He does. And he's written quite a bit about them. So we learn about home at church, and we do learn about church at home. And so your home is a training ground for life. You know, if I were to start a seminary, I'm not going to, I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not dumb enough to do that either. But if I were to start a seminary, um, I'm joking. If I were to start a seminary and I were to be training young preachers, young pastors like Timothy was, you know, I could spend a lot of money because I'd need it and I could have a big textbook and a syllabus about interpersonal relationships in churches. Let me tell you something. Working in churches is all about working with people. In all their glorious nastiness. It's all about real people and what God has to say about them and applying God's authority to human life. So, do you think it might be good for a, a preacher to have a clue about people and how they operate and how to work with them? Yeah, and do you think there might be a little variety even in a room like this this morning? Oh, yeah. For instance, you all are Americans. I'm from Tennessee. And that's why you're trying to understand my, my, my English today. Uh, in, in all truth and all seriousness, there's, there's a wide variety of people. So a pastor, like Pastor Micaiah, needs to know how to work with gray-haired men and young men and gray-haired ladies and young ladies, and especially as Timothy, I believe, was when you're single. So uh, if I were to have a course on interpersonal relationships, I could have an entire semester on that and charge a guy 4000 bucks for it. But a picture's worth what? You, th you think what we see is not powerful? Do you realize how much money this, this facility rakes in, in in a given weekend? You may remember what you hear, but you surely remember what you see. And that's why the home is so important, because you're being an example of something by default or by design every day. So um, you, you could spend a lot of money in an entire semester, but God has literally put an entire semester's worth of instruction. And I'm not, I'm not making a sermon here. I'm telling you the truth. In two sentences... God says, how do you treat older men? As a father. How do you treat elder women? As a mother. How do you treat younger women? As a sister. How do you treat younger men? As a brother. And God is just assuming that we will know what that means. Now, we're living in a day where increasingly we don't know, and I understand that. And God's word will help you wherever you are. We often talk, for instance, about single-parent homes. And I'm not trying to be funny here. In the Bible, you frequently read entire books about families that were characterized by families like three-parent homes, as in one husband and two wives, for an example. 
Okay, so we make things complicated, and I understand that, but God's truth is simple, it is sure, and anyone who has a heart to ask, a heart to know, and a heart to follow what God has said, God is a gracious God, God is a powerful God, and God will give you the guidance you need as you seek to find God's guidance. So in two verses, God is assuming that what I need to know as to how I treat people without, how I treat people within the church, is something that I learn almost automatically as I'm honoring God in the home. So your home is a training ground for life. So my question this morning is, what are you teaching? Someone says, oh, Brother Rice, I already feel, I already feel guilty. Because, you know, I'm not teaching my children anything. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, yeah, of course you are. By design or by default, you're teaching. Right now, you're teaching. Um, we have a ranch. There's a big equestrian arena in town called Miller uh, Coliseum. We have a lot of big uh, horse training people that come in there. Any, any legitimate horse trainer can tell you. He can walk into a, a, a corral, and the moment you enter a corral with a horse, you are communicating to that critter by design, that is intentionally, or by default on accident. Now look, if a horse is smart enough to pick that up, don't you think your children are? And don't you think, don't you think it's important that this church have a foundation of people, not perfect, but who want to do what's right, and are willing to go for broke and have the courage to say, God, I don't care what the culture says, what have you said? And then go for broke on what God has said, because it works, and because it works because it's been designed by the one who created male and female and marriage and children the entire shooting match. So when the Bible says, as a father, God assumes I know what that means. Let me ask you a question. Could I safely say to your child, for example, hey, son, you treat Pastor Micaiah the way you treat me. If your children treated your pastor or other people in this church the way they treat you, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? See, it ought to be a good thing. Not that you're perfect, but you... You are teaching in your home every day. So your home is a training ground for life. Let me just talk about a couple lessons. One, maybe three if we have the time, but we're going to be done at 11. Let me talk about three lessons your home should be teaching, all right? The first is found in the first part of verse 1. When the Bible says, rebuke not an elder, we're talking not just about an official capacity in the church. We're talking about a man of age. Literally, don't beat him over the head. Let me ask you a question real quick. Do you think a young preacher, and I've not talked to uh, Micaiah, I haven't talked to Pastor Micaiah at all. So, but do you think it's possible for a gray-haired man to give a young preacher trouble? Do you think that's possible? How many of you think that might be remotely possible? You think so? <laughs> yeah. So what does a young preacher do? Well, you just beat him over the head. That's what you do because I'm the man of God. Is that what you do? No. Okay, do you roll over and play dead because the man's older than you? No. What do you do? The Bible says you don't rebuke him. You don't beat him over the head, but you entreat him as a father. This man is going to be accountable to God for this church and to some extent the people in it for the way he shepherds us. That's true. So that makes it mighty important. So you don't rebuke an elder, but you entreat him as a father. Now let me ask you a question. You can help out. It's just us. Um, There's like a great chasm between me and everybody else, but okay. So let me ask you a question. Um, what do you think it means to entreat a man as a father? What one word would personify that kind of relationship or attitude? Isn't that amazing? This was written in a country thousands of miles from here, thousands of years ago, and we could have said, 
uh, honor. We could have said a couple different words. But do you realize in San Jose this morning, every person who verbalized a response gave the same answer? Why? Because this is a timeless example. Respect. I don't have to make a sermon that rhymes, do I? Or that's even alliterated. Not that that would be wrong. But notice what the Bible says. You know what it's saying. Entreat an elder as a father. That means with respect. Uh, At Bill Rice Ranch, we have thousands of young people and adults. We have family weeks. And I have heard campers say to a counselor before, when given instruction they don't want to follow, Hey, you're not my dad. When a kid looks at a counselor and says, You're not my dad, what is he implying? What is he saying? I don't have to obey you, all right? Now, I want you to think. I know it's Sunday morning, but the Bible is meant to be thought about, not just feel about. So I want you to think this morning, all right? If if he says, you're not my dad, so I don't have to obey you, what is the basis of his rebellion? What is the authority upon which he's standing? I don't have to obey you. You're not my dad. What is he saying? He's saying, you have no authority over me, so I don't have to obey you. Correct? Does that make sense? Okay, what is the obvious implication of the other side of that? Okay, I'm not obeying you because you're not my dad. But if you were my dad, I'm not saying this kid is smart enough to think this through, but this is true because you are. Um, But if you were my dad, then what's the obvious implication? Then I would obey you. Liar. (laughs) Pants on fire. No, he doesn't obey his dad. The reason he does not obey his counselor is precisely because he's not learned to obey his dad. And I'll tell you something. For every 15-year-old at, at Bill Rice Ranch or West Ranch and Flag that does not understand authority, there's a dad or a mom or both back home that don't get it either. And that's what's troubling. My mother's here. And I love and respect my mother. And I honor her. And I'm so thankful for her. I love my dad. You know, I've never... My, my dad's name is Bill Rice. I have I never called my dad Bill in my life. Why? Because I may be dumb, but I ain't stupid, that's why. No, the, the reason is because he's not Bill to me. He's a father. So my home needs to teach respect. I do that by how I guide and guard my children, and I do it by the example that I give them. For example, look at across the page at 1 Timothy 6.1. Would you look there? 1 Timothy 6.1. The Bible says that as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Now, I want you to catch the rationale here. That, or in order that, the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Here's what this means. It means if I'm going to Southridge and um, people know I, I know the Lord and I love the Lord, not that I'm perfect, but I love the Lord, And at work, I'm a rebel against the people I can see, but claim to love and honor the God I can't see. There's something kind of hollow about that. People haven't seen God, but they've seen me. And it's kind of hard for them to swallow that I would honor a God they haven't seen if I'm not doing right by the guy that pays my wages. Then you say, well, this is a free country. That's right. And thank God no one's obligated to work where we're working. But as long as we are, it is, I'll just say, it is a sin against God to be a rebel. Can I appeal? Yes. And there's much more that could be said, and I'm sure we'll get it in the following weeks. But suffice it to say that, that my home needs to teach respect. If I'm mocking the police, I, I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm uh, spewing vitriol at people that I didn't vote for. 
And then I'm shocked that my kids call me the old man. Friend, there's only one authority. And that's God, and it's delegated to each of us. When I undermine the authority of someone else, I've cut myself off at the knees. So look at Titus chapter 2, because we give a lot of examples. I'm going to give two uh, for the sake of time. But Titus chapter 2, verse 9, because you'll find the Bible to be very consistent on its rationale for this. The Bible says, exhort servants, Titus 2, 9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. Someone help me out. What does it mean to not answer? What would it mean to answer again? Back talk. Isn't that amazing? Same problems now. You know, we're in a republic, uh, representative democracy. They, they did not have that in, in these days. So a lot of differences. But isn't it interesting that people who lived thousands of years ago, different world, had, had, there's no way they could comprehend the life you're living right now, had the same problems. We haven't gotten better. We haven't gotten different. We're, we're human. We need God. Uh, verse t- 10. Not purloining. What does that mean? <laughs> good, good $10 word. I cheated today. It means petty theft, stealing my boss's time, money, name, but showing all good fidelity, faithfulness, simplify, Marines, always faithful, fidelity, that they may adorn or beautify the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. In other words, people make assumptions about God they have not seen by what they see from a servant they have seen, namely me. So my home ought to teach respect, and that's why what we're going to hear from the Bible this month is so vitally important. Um, number two, and I'll tell you what, I've got three, we're going to go with two, because I told you we'd be done by 11. Let me give you, um, let me give you one more, all right? Notice what the Bible says in verse two, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him how? As a father, let's try that one more time, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him how? As a father, yeah, and the younger men, real quick, what do you think that means? If I treat someone like a brother, what does that mean? Brotherly, right, so what does that mean? It means I do right by him doesn't mean I like him. I'm not, I'm not parsing words here. Romans 13, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. 1 Corinthians 13 is what love does. Romans 13 is what love is. Love is doing right by people whether I like him or not. See, like is based on fickle things like we both pull for the uh, 49ers. Um, we, we both like ice cream. Um, we both hate onions. Love is much more important. It's much more significant. You can't love people without God. Because love is doing right by someone whether you like them or not. And that's very applicable to marriage. Well, I think you should, there should be romance too. But it begins with a decision. Love may keep marriage alive, but I'd say just as certainly that marriage keeps love alive. Because that's a choice. That's a decision before God. It's a commitment that you make. So uh, as, as a brother. Here's another one. Um, the, the elder women retreat as mothers. And we know what that means because the Bible goes on to talk about taking care of widows and taking care of our grandparents. The Bible says if a man doesn't provide for his own family, he's worse than an unbeliever. He's worse than an infidel. In other words, are there people that don't know the Lord Jesus but take care of their grandma? Yeah. How tragic that there would be someone who doesn't even know the Lord that would do better at taking care of their family than someone that does. See, that's, that's a contradiction in terms. I have a reason that that person doesn't have. And I have a power that person doesn't have. And so if I say one thing but do another in the house, it shows my life to be somewhat bankrupt. Okay, one more, and that is the last one. Uh, We're to treat the younger women how? As sisters. Now, I think this is compelling. God literally assumes with each of these examples, knowing that we would read this in America thousands of years later, 
that the, the example, the reference would be clear enough that we'd know dead sure exactly what he's talking about. But he gives, um, he provides explanation on the last one. We're to treat younger women as sisters. And this is written to a younger preacher. Okay, what does it mean as a sister? Just so you know dead sure, with all purity. So it means what you think it means. You know, as a sister means something because marriage means something. With all purity. Hebrews 13.4 says marriage is honorable. To what extent? In all. What do we mean by that? And the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Friend, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from heaven. There were false teachers who thought that marriage and food and money were wrong. And Paul counters that in 1 Timothy 6 by saying, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God which giveth us, catch this, richly, what? All things, why? To enjoy. So the giver, God is greater than the gifts. But every pleasure and blessing of marriage is God-ordained. It wasn't designed by the devil. It was designed by God. So what the devil's left with is taking the desires God gave you and tampering with them to ruin you by the very desires God gave you. You understand what I'm saying? Jim Cook, pastor will know Jim Cook. Jim Cook says, the devil will give you what you want, but it will cost you what you have. Talked to a man in New York City, and he wanted me to pray with him about three things. You ready? Three things. Three things. Number one, he, um, he was lonely. He, he wanted to, uh, to be married, and he wanted a Proverbs 31 wife, meaning just simply a godly wife, a wife that loves God. And uh, then he wanted me to pray for his son, who was 18 and, and had never trusted the Lord Jesus to save him. He wanted his son to be saved. Number three, he wanted me to pray that he would get a, uh, a well-paying job, and he had been offered a job as head of security in a nightclub. Now, I just want look. I just want you to think, all right? I want you to think. I think that would be good. Whatever your opinion, I want you to think, and I want you to apply the Bible honestly. I think that's a good thing to do. I ought to do that, and I hope you will as well. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God could give my friend a godly wife, yes or no? Yes, sure. You think the devil can? Godly wife? No, no, no. Do you think God can save my friend's son, yes or no? You think the devil can? No. You think God can give my friend a well-paying job? You think the devil can? Good. Yes. Of course he can. And one out of three ain't bad. And the devil will give him exactly what he wants to take what he, what he has. Now, this, I didn't, some people think, well, you probably preached to him. How dare you think about preaching in a den of iniquity where they serve alcohol and ruin lives? I'll be honest with you. I believe that's true. That's hard, but that's true. But let me tell you what happened, all right? I didn't say anything. For five minutes, this guy proceeded to, to, to tell me why he knew it wasn't right, but, but maybe it'd be okay this time. And I just let him talk because I didn't need to talk because God was already talking in his heart. I thank God for people who may be messed up but who are honest and have the courage to go for broke on what God has said. I admire that. I thank God for that. And... Finally, after about five minutes of this, I said, Marcus, look, I'm not going to pray that God will give you wisdom. He'd ask for me to pray that God would give him wisdom. 
I said, God's given you it, and that's obvious. I don't have to tell you what to do. God has. I'm going to pray that God will give you courage to act on what you know to be right. So, uh, with all purity, marriage as a sister means something because marriage means something. Marriage is good. Marriage is exclusive. In a day where anything goes, God has given us a pattern. And marriage is the difference, not merely love. It's marriage. This is something that God has ordained. So I'd like to encourage you this morning to restrain the wrong ideas and to train um, train the right ideas. Restrain wrong ideas. You know, Proverbs, uh, the first seven chapters, uh, repeatedly and explicitly is a father, this is God speaking, but is a father giving instruction to a son. Could a mother give instruction to a daughter or a, a father to a daughter? Yes. But in Proverbs 1 through 7 specifically, and even beyond that, God is giving Bible instruction from a father to a son. And numerous times, almost every chapter of the first seven, he talks about the dangers of the strange woman. You know what the strange woman is? We don't mean weird. The word means stranger. She doesn't belong to me. She's a stranger. She's not mine. She's not my wife. She is a stranger. And so in Proverbs 7, the Bible says, uh, gives instruction to a son. Now, let me ask you a question, right? We're living in a very wicked day. Uh, that is for sure. That is for sure. We're living in a very wicked day. And I'm talking to people. You may be from a variety of backgrounds. I don't even know how much every person in this, this room aligns, but I'm quite sure that no one here wants anything less than God's best for your home. And you love the people in your house. And you are at least here to hear what God has said. Now, what we do with it when we leave is something that will be on our heads individually before God. But that's, so I'm talking to people who have an interest in this, and I'm grateful for that. All right? So let me ask you something. If I've got a, a four-year-old, and I, I once did, do you think I should teach my four-year-old son about the dangers of the adulterous woman? You think I should do that? If I follow Proverbs 1 through 7, I will. Yeah, because the Bible is giving instruction to help... Uh, guide and guard, guide and provide the children that God's put in our care. So the question is, how do I do that and when do I begin? How, when do you, th okay, when do you think, and I should do this with my daughter, my, my wife does the same thing, but as a father, um, I think probably it makes sense that I should train and prepare my son for life. So when should I do that? Should I begin when he's 13? Boy, there's a lot of struggles there with Impurity when you're 13, right? So maybe when he's 13, start talking about dangers of the strange woman. Do you think that'd be good? Huh? Yeah, it's way too late. Way too late. Do you think the average 13-year-old in San Jose is a little bit ahead of the curve on this? Yeah, why? Why? Is it because of what dad is saying or because of what they're learning here on Monday through Friday? Okay, so when should I begin? 13's too old. I think I'm just going to, I shouldn't assume, but I'm going to assume we'll probably agree on that. So when should I begin? Let's have a little auction here. Twelve? Is that a good time? Nine? Okay. Five? Okay. Here's a question I think we could ask before we answer the question. Who could put an arbitrary age on what God has said? Either he's given us a concrete age or he's given us the good wisdom to know when to begin, right? Okay. So, nine, I think that's a good... If I were guessing, that's about what I would guess. But my concern would be that someone may beat me to the punch at seven and a half years of age. So what do you do? Well, someone says, right, so what are you going to do? 
you know, prop a, a two-year-old up on his wobbly legs and say, Son, let me tell you about the dangers of this strange woman. <laughs> this woman strange is interesting in the Hebrew. Let me explain it to you. Is that what I'm going to do? No. So let me tell you a practical way. Any, any dad worth his salt who wants to guide and provide your, your kids can do, all right? You're driving down the street. There's a naked woman on a billboard. What do you do? Can a dad, I'm not even being funny here. If your head is craned, you've taught your son. And I don't care what you say from here on, you've taught your son. But here's what I think, I think here's what you do. If it's not, then by God's grace, let's begin. Here's what you do. You say, son, look at your shoes. You're not talking strange woman. You're not giving Hebrew. You are giving instruction for life. No one who will not have a heart to obey has a mind to understand. But anyone who has a heart to obey will have a mind to understand. It's not a matter of, of intelligence. It's a matter of integrity. It's a matter of heart. You know, we know pretty much what we want to know. It's amazing what I don't know because I don't want to. And it's amazing the things that just snap because, because I do want to. Um, here's a daughter, and she's 13 years old, and she's, she's just gotten ready for school, and she comes out, and she's wearing something that fit five days ago. But she's 13, and it doesn't fit. And by anyone's metric, it's not modest. It's not good. It's not wholesome. I'm trying to think of a word that, that makes sense here. Modest, we get that. So what does mom do? She says, hey, honey, hey, tell you what, let's go look for another outfit. Gracious, kind, and that gives you an open door for instruction. But whether you're giving a five-point reason why we're going to change, you're instructing. Every day of your life, by design or by default, your home is teaching something. So let me ask you something. What are you teaching? And are you willing to learn in the next several weeks so you can be able to teach in the next several weeks? I was saved when I was four years old. That is really young, and I understand that. But I heard the gospel literally every day of my life growing up. And I was saved after I heard a gospel message on John 3.16 about God's love and that we need not perish and face God's judgment because God judged us by sending his son to take our punishment and take our place. And when I was four, I, I understood that. I understood enough. I knew I was a sinner. I knew Christ died for me. I knew that if I would ask him, he would save me. Number two, not number two, um, <laughs> everything's got to be numbered or it doesn't make sense. Um, that's when I was four. Thirteen years later, I was sitting in the large John Rice Auditorium on the Bill Rice Ranch. It's the main of three auditoriums. We can seat about 900. We've had as many as 12 uh, in, in some years. There were several hundred young people, and I was in the cheap seats. I was on row 30, and uh, I, I remember hearing that same preacher preach a sermon on the need to be willing to risk God, to give one's life lock, stock, and barrel to the God who made me. And I made a decision tonight to do exactly that. And I even prayed with someone who just encouraged me, a counselor, to answer questions that I had. I walked 30 rows, 30 rows, a long, long walk when you're 15 or 16. I was 17, pardon me. And I remember, I remember someone just encouraging me in the decision I'd made at my seat and giving me some things to think about and encouraging me. Uh, five years later, I stood at an altar and I made vows before God and to my wife. And that same preacher, the same one that had preached the night I was saved, and the same preacher that had preached the night I decided to give my life to God, he's the one that gave us the challenge at our wedding that night. Now, you, you may well be five steps ahead of me. 
That man was my dad. And the reason I'm here this morning, apart from the gracious invitation of Brother Micaiah Ermler, is because not because I, I heard some great preacher on some Sunday morning. I'm here today. I was willing to be here when God called because I had a dad and I had a mom. Very imperfect, but very intent on knowing what God has said, very honest about what God has said, and willing to raise their children in light of what God had said. Friend, I don't care who you are, where you've been, what your failures may have been. God made you. God knows you. You are not up to the tasks ahead, but God is. And if you'll trust him with an open heart, he will give you a fullness of power.